podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> yeah. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk. Come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds.
All right, that was The Big Moon, Your Light. And today's playlist was handpicked by our special guest today, Evie Xavier, a fellow Rainbow sister and comedian. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be interviewing her today. So I'm excited to have her on. Let's, uh, let's bring her up. Hey, Phoebe. Hey, what's up, Rick? Oh, you know, just sitting in the Mission District doing this silly radio thing. Oh, yeah, you have to, like, actually go to the studio to do it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, during co during COVID, it was like uh, radio is essential, so it got to stay open. But because we, uh, like, for a while, it was only the people that were already here that were allowed to be here and a lot of the shows... Uh, people weren't coming in, but that's kind of how I started this show, was I was already, like, in a COVID bubble with Pam, so <laughs> we were just trying to keep the station full of content, and now the show started, so <laughs> I thought cool. it would be fun to kind of archive old Always Free. Oh, yeah, by the way, this is the Always Free podcast. I don't know if I told the audience that. <laughs> I knew that that was the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Working on those uh, intros. So, what's new with you, Phoebe? Um, so I have a job. Um, I was washing dishes, but now I am the hostess and hostesses in a very busy restaurant. Well, they're lucky to have you. Yeah, I think. Um, some of the people think so. I think. <laughs> Well, it's nice, uh, you know, you, you spent years on the road, so it's cool to hear that you're settling down. Oh, my God, this is the first time I've been on a lease or, like, had a job with, like, taxes on it in, like, 14 years, maybe. Wow. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> You've avoided it that long. That's awesome. That's yeah, inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> it took, like, effort to get off the road. You're on the road long enough, and, like... It just becomes the easiest thing in the world to do. Yeah, it's just, that's your reality. That's life. <laughs> so, um, all right. I want to start just talking about Rainbow. I want to ask you a question. I ask a lot of the people on the show. What brought you to your first gathering? Um, so, do you count, like, um, Rainbow uh, drum circles as a gathering, or? Sure, if that's a... Uh, in your heart, your first one, for, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's my first exposure to, like, people saying this is a rainbow thing or whatever. Yeah, well, um, that's what brought you, right? So, yeah, sounds like the correct yeah. answer to me. <laughs> um, so, in La Jolla, uh, San Diego, the Black Beach Drum Circle was probably the first rainbow event that I ever attended. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, like, at the bottom of the cliff, but it's, it's almost like a two-mile hike. You're zigzagging back across the cliff. And um, then you're at the beach. There's no uh, road access to the beach, so the cops can't really roll up on you. And oh hundreds of people rage every moment. I think I've heard of that. I've never attended myself. How did you find out about it? Uh, I lived in San Diego for a couple of years on and off, and you just, like, eventually learn about all the biggest parties in town. Like you do. Like one does. Well, <laughs> So at this drum circle, that's when you found out about this uh, rainbow thing. <laughs> sort of, yeah. This glorified potluck that we do in the woods. I didn't understand like what the hell rain rainbow was or whatever, um, or why they were calling it that. And eventually I met somebody who was passing out flyers for an Arizona uh, 420 gathering, I think. And... Um, so that was uh, my first introduction to the idea that this isn't just a Southern California thing. Like, we do it elsewhere. So what was your first gathering after that? I think probably the New Mexico Nationals, and I think it's 2008. Or it might be 2009. Yeah, I think um, 2008 sounds about right. One of those two. Yeah. <laughs> Usually we have our rainbow encyclopedia around, but we don't have him today. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're sitting. Oh, you know, just doing other stuff. I think he's working today. Yeah, I'm just 
<laughs> it's the girl show today, right? It's me Absolutely. and my friend Phoebe. <laughs> um, how would you describe a rainbow gathering to someone who's never been? Um. Chaos, but also organization. Um, also good food. Probably good talk. Um, and some really nice people, some really crazy people, <laughs> and probably some lameness walking around talking to me. <laughs> Don't talk about me like that. <laughs> oh yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> oh cool. Yeah, and the setting is like tends to be a national forest, and usually very, very beautiful place. Sometimes not easily livable. Like I remember um, the Montana National, which is around where I met you, that it snowed on summer solstice. Oh yeah, I was there. I made pancakes in the snow, and like a oh, lot yeah. of people who are from places where it doesn't snow are like too cold to move. And I'm like, this <laughs> is this snow bunny's time to shine. <laughs> like made coffee and pancakes and they're like y'all are pussies <laughs> but it was like it, the first time in my life that i've ever experienced hey first day of summer here's two inches of snow on the ground oh yeah you know what was remarkable to me was i i noticed that there was these flowers and then after it snowed the flowers were still there and i just know like usually a frost will kill them and i'm like these are some resilient flowers <laughs> don't yeah, mind the crazy crazy montana weather yeah, Montana is tough as shit. Yeah, I definitely, I woke up with my tent collapsed on me from the snow. It wasn't even my tent, it was a tent someone was letting the squad in because they, <laughs> they were in town. <laughs> oh, I remember, um, so, wait, I camped up by um, Shining Light that year. I don't know if you were anywhere near it. I actually was, I was in between Shining Light and uh, Magic uh, Bowl, Magic Bowl, uh, they were calling it at that gathering. Okay, yeah, I have an idea of where that was. Yeah. Well, I was kind of just floating around, but that's where the abandoned tent was. <laughs> I was squatting <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after I wasn't, uh, uh, after the cops found out people were in the um, cabin. I don't know who those people were in those cabins, but that's what they told me. And then I was like, oh, shit, I need to find somewhere else to sleep. Not that I knew who was there. Um, I think there were sort of like abandoned mines there. That yeah, yeah, I saw them. That's where I saw a bunch of undercover cops roll in. It was crazy. So I drove up into that, that section of the forest once, and I had a huge rock thrown at me by this crazy dude who had like, I think he drove up with us from Boulder, and, um, and yeah, he drove up with us from Boulder, and then he just like totally stood down on me and tried to throw a rock at my car. Like, when I say rock, it's like a volleyball size rock. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, taking the wing nuttery a step away from, a step further from talking to trees. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Throwing rocks. <laughs> but, um, that's not how you stack rocks, Adam brother. <laughs> I've never seen Adam him at a gathering after. Huh. Well, that's probably good, then. <laughs> <laughs> in my eyes yeah so tell us about this project you've been working on um, oh, your okay, comic so book I'm here tonight to promote a Halloween anthology comic book called 13th Moon and it is 7 stories 62 pages um, a really really cool team that has been working with me on this all year and uh, we're trying to raise $2,400 on Kickstarter.com. You can go to Kickstarter and look up 13th Moon Halloween Anthology. Um, Kickstarter.com, look up Halloween Anthology. 13th Moon Halloween Anthology. Okay, 13th Moon Halloween yeah. Anthology. Kickstarter.com. Yeah. And I think we were up to like $1,000 in $1,044 when I called you to promote it. Awesome. So you yeah, still have a long like way to go. And we need to raise like $1,400. Well, uh, 
Can you give us a little uh, a little taste of what it's about? Get us interested. Oh my god, this is gonna be so much fun. Okay, so there's like four, like I said, um, seven different stories, and so some of them are four pages long, and I think three or four of them are four pages long. One of them is a single page long, um, but the main story, like the cover story, um, and it is about Lucy, who is one of the devil's daughters. She has been locked in hell for forever, and she kind of finds a way to escape, and she teams up with this heavy metal band, and um, it's really, really good. Uh, she's a guitarist herself, and that one is actually a comedy book. Um, the, the rest of the other six tales are more like horror, morbid kind of stories, but Lucy and the Doombringers, that cover story, is really, really funny. Um... And so, okay, Chris McCauley, who colored, I think, at least half of the book, um, he is an Irishman who lives in Canada these days. He's probably the most um, experienced professional comic book uh, artist that I work with on my 123 Yield Publications team. Uh, he, he's done coloring for 2000 AD. He's done some coloring for Marvel. He's worked with... Uh, in Todd McFarlane, he's definitely more experienced with um, the professional end of the comic book industry than I am personally. But um, so he has a story that's called Dracula, Lord of the Future. And it is because Chris made an arrangement with, um, I think if I'm pronouncing this right, it's Dacre, D A C R E, and Joker, who is the uh, heir to the Joker estate, from what I understand, and controls. Um, the, the remaining of Bram Stoker's work and I think negotiates probably movies and books or what, whatever. Um, their, their family's uh, right to some claim whenever someone using Dracula's name. Well, Chris negotiated a contract with that guy who's wow. apparently really cool. And our Dracula is canon for like Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, I, I mean, I know it's generations later, but like our Dracula is the Dracula. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. It's a cool piece of um, history. <laughs> um, Chris, well, yeah, I didn't even know until Chris told me this that Bram Stoker was an Irishman. And uh, I learned more about him from his, from his writing and from, from my own stuff. Um, Chris is also a mason and just, like, worked very, very hard and knows all sorts of weird shit that I would have never understood. Is there a, a place that we can see some of his artwork, like online or something um yeah if you went to the kickstarter you could see that um also i think if you just googled him maybe um i don't know where to um on my instagram has some of some of his stuff um on one two three go publications on instagram one two three go publications on yep. instagram yep that's <laughs> me and my comic book and i know some of Chris um, I think only one Dracula covers it. So is it uh is it in bad form to ask you to give us a piece of the story? Like to read some of it or would you rather just wait? So I'm actually just adding the letter to that one tonight. I was working on that while you and Liam just were messaging about um doing the show. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to see how it turns out for sure. That particular story I'm saying I was doing the letters on. I have mostly other ones. Um like if I sent you the something through the internet right now, can you post it somewhere? Uh yeah, I could I could post I could post a, uh, like a link to it on a, a Facebook post when I put up the show. Oh, all right. Yeah, no, I could I or could like right now promo <laughs> images and stuff. Um, How long yeah. have you been uh, writing comic books? Um, alright, so I probably first started when I was like 10, maybe. <laughs> and that comic book I did myself and maybe did five pages of. Um, but I didn't start doing it seriously again until like five years ago. What are what are your uh what what's one of your favorite comic books that you you've been working on other than the one you're working on now? Um, okay, my favorite. I think is Trouble, um, and it's like a comedy action 
one, and she is in the 2450s, and she is a retired Marine who just wants to relax and work on her tan, and because she, her ex-boyfriend is a local police sergeant, she always gets called in there and, and cleaning up after his inability to stop this fight. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and the first fight, and then if fight, if she eliminates her, that we're doing about is about her versus like these crazy giant robotic things. How many how many issues are there of that story so far? There there will be five so far. Only the first one is out. Oh. I'm and is that is that an ongoing project? Like. Um. Yes. Cool. Yes. Um. So we're working on issue two of that right now. And we have, um, that's actually, that one will have a, a story within a story in it. Uh, it is, like, she, in the issue number two, will be at a comic convention, and she picks up a copy of her favorite comic book, and then the next four pages are pages from within that comic book, so you're, like, with the comic in your hand, you're, like, her holding the comic book. Very her meta. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and her um, her favorite comic book is called Okomaru Sakino, and that um, is purple, what is it in English? Troublesome pur purple or mischievous purple in, um, in Japanese, uh, Lee Hongu. And uh, so, yeah, she's just this mischievous purple kitty, and she lives with a Zen temple, and it's kind of cool. Yeah. I like it. I think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like fun. Thank you. Oh, I meant to ask. So, is that Pam doing like the Bjork Baker stuff up top? Yes, it is. Yeah, during our breaker. <laughs> it's good to hear her voice. She loves her Bjork impression. <laughs> <laughs> she works it into her stand up, but she thinks it doesn't work. But it's it all depends on who the audience is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and when no, no one and when no one laughs at it, she blames it on their age. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're too oh. young to understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm within a few years of her. I'm closer to her than you are, I think. Yeah, she just had a birthday. She just had her birthday celebration. Yeah. Year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for if any of my friends are listening, um, I have done stand-up comedy with these ladies at their anniversary. So. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was I was thinking about like uh, digging into the old uh, happy hours and trying to find which one that you, we were both on. <laughs> oh wait, here at the um, here at Mutiny. At the, yeah, no shit. Yeah, we did uh, like around this time last year, I think, or like around March last year or something. Um, not last. I don't know. April. You know, COVID is really messing with my mind. <laughs> yeah, April no, no, no. 2018 or 2019? <laughs> April 2019, I think we did. Yes, it was April 2019. Happy, Happy hour. Happy <laughs> yeah, I was thinking if, if it, <laughs> like, maybe I could play you out with the, I haven't found it yet, but I, <laughs> we have I access I to it. I think they had a good set there, to be honest, um, if I remember correctly. I don't think I remember yeah. that. Well, it's easy to feel like you bomb here because the comedians don't really like react to other comedians and then and most most of the audience is online know. listening you know yeah, i guess no, it prepares us for zoom shows in a way what were you saying thing and it is it's 12 comedians jammed in a tiny tiny room like there's no other audience yeah well now because of covid we've been doing outdoor shows the neighbors actually came and they um asked, one of the neighbors asked us to do some kind of show like and you know in the midst of the covid because they wanted entertainment so we found a like a safe way to do it with like mic condoms and if you you know you bring your own mic if you have it and all the audience is just standing around on the street far away from each other and we didn't really promote it it was just for the people in the neighborhood you know right. so it uh it actually in a way the mics were a lot better because there was an actual audience and they wanted to be entertained and it was really cool because they would like uh they'll sit in their cars or like look through the window or sit on their porch. So did did anybody ever try the microphone approach during that point in COVID? What do you mean the microphone approach? 
Oh, I meant megaphone. Oh, megaphone. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I think like if everyone has their own megaphone, a lot of outdoor open mics would be full. Yeah, if everyone has it. Yeah, that makes sense. We we've just been like you know because there has been like you know like I'm a swag hippie that um does <laughs> still goes to open mics in the park now that they start but we take precautions like uh like mic covers and hand sanitizer. I found out spraying Lysol on the mic doesn't really work because you can't really hear the person <laughs> in the first few minutes. But you know some people bring their own and like you know everyone's socially distant in the park. Like so, when you're using that microphone with the mic condom on, do you wear a mask too? I was. Oh yeah, I do. I should say rather. And then you know, I have to make bits about wearing the mask because I'm wearing one. Well, one person came up to me after the show, uh, here, and said, like, complimented, like he he has seen like most of my stuff because I was doing a show here a while, and he said that I had the ability to show expression even with my mask on mm. and cap and like he re really didn't see that with many people but for me like you know it didn't matter that i was wearing a mask and i was like yeah, wow i didn't even think that people you know were no you know what i mean <laughs> i didn't even think about like he said it was hard because you know people really need to see facial resp you know facial yeah, no, you gotta use your um your eyebrows and your your whole your whole forehead and a little bit of scrunch in your nose is fine with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is different with a mask on, for sure. Yeah, and especially because I wear glasses, so I start talking and then my glasses fog up and then I have to put it on the top of my face and then I'm like, wow, wearing this mask is making me touch my face twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're also like talking about COVID like almost over the past tense, but it is still totally surprising. Oh yeah, so it's still really real. I'm, you know, trying to keep up with, like, being, you know, the healthy, the health, uh, procedures of trying to safely still do share mics with people. But I feel like here in the Bay, at least, um, a lot of the comics that have still been doing open mics are just the same people. So in a way, we've like made our own COVID pod. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean I, I, you know, I still try to wear a mask and put con like. There's been different tactics. It's interesting. Like, um, people put plastic bags over. Uh, like I did an outdoor show where that was the procedure. Everyone grabbed their own plastic bag. You had to have a mask on, and then you can still hear people through the plastic bag. But some people need to learn to project. I think they need to go to gatherings. So you make announcements in the woods. You learn how to raise your voice for. <laughs> for people. So the plastic bag is the mic condom in that sense? In that sense, yeah. And then plastic gloves and then actual like mic covers. That's what we hear have here at uh, Mutiny. Uh, somebody donated a bunch of mic covers. So everybody just like grabs their own one, you know. So we try not to do that. And if you, the smart thing is to bring your own mic. Like I'm doing a show in Pacifica on Thursday and that was a requirement. It was like you have yeah. to have your own mic. And a lot of shows are like making people get COVID tested before they even come and, like, prove that. Um, what about, like, the asshole who screams in the audience, though? He didn't get COVID. What about the what in the audience? The asshole who sneezing in the audience. I bet he didn't get COVID. Yeah, well, that's why we, everyone has to be socially distant that, um, uh, you know, watches the show. It's It's been what? really interesting to see, like, the the adaptations that we've been doing like there, there's a comedy club that just opened well the grand opening is going to be soon but they had some pre-shows in alameda and uh they started building it before you know this pandemic like really took effect in in the states you know and uh so they had to reevaluate the way that they did everything so they created an outdoor space where all the tables were six feet apart and they can do an outdoor show, like before they even finish the inside, so that you know to try to adapt. Uh, I I I got to go to one of the shows. It was really um, cool. It was really interesting, uh, to say the least. And they ch check everyone's temperature before the door, um, before they walk in. But man, what a what a hard time to start a business, especially when your business is like getting people together <laughs> in a room. 
Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say, yeah. And then all the other shows that have been happening are just, um, for a long time, there wasn't, there was only to go, they were encouraging us to take alcohol, drink it on the street instead of, <laughs> instead of in the bar, of course, you can't go in. And uh, so they started building parklets, parklets that, you know, that j to serve, to still be able to serve people, but you have to serve food if you're, s if, if, to even, o so like bars that have never served food before are starting to serve food just so they can mm. stay open and have these parklets open. And there's been some, um, there's been some shows at those. Like there's one down the street here that Pam puts together at Asiento. And uh, there's one on the, the milk bars do doing some too. Man, Eric at the Milk Bar has always been so kind to the comedians in the com the comedy com community here. So shout out to Eric, <laughs> Milk Bar. But it's I just it's and it's such a big there's it's it's a big contested thing too because there's so many people that it is it kind of like rainbow gatherings. It's like a lot of people chose not to gather this year. They chose not to expose themselves, but you can't stop everybody. So there's a lot of comedians that are like, oh, doing outdoor shows is wrong. Like, doing an open mic in the park is wrong. Like, I'm going to stay here. You guys, like, shame on you guys for even doing that. And then other people are like, are you telling me I can't go to the park, dude? <laughs> like, there's already people in the park. <laughs> like, you know, so it's it's been a... It's it's like the new comedy war. There you, there was a comedy civil war. This is the new comedy civil war. <laughs> There's always got to be something controversial going on in a comedian's mind. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I see a lot of mirrors of uh, rainbow and, and comedy. Hey, Roach, do you want to cue another song? Yeah, sure. All right, I got okay. a... This is... What, Lilikai? Is that what you say? 47? Uh, oh, uh... uh Mikayle Thank you. 
Okay, that was. How did you say pronounce again? We'll be back with our special guest. For your money back. That's for sure. All right. So what were you saying uh, about the song? Okay. So, yeah, that was Michaela 47. Um, that's an artist who our mutual friend from Raleigh introduced me to. Um, Raleigh's introduced me to a lot of cool female rap artists artists that I would have never listened to except for their Kamali Pink Exquisite because she has exquisite taste in most everything. <laughs> yeah. Food, music, the company she keeps. What an amazing mm-hmm. person. No, the company they Kamali. keep. Yeah, Kamali identifies as Billy Bob. Yeah. I'm um, glad I caught myself. <laughs> Too late, but I try. Now, supporting and loving our friends yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, Molly's um, taste in rap music is exquisite. Maybe it's because they're from Philly. Perhaps. <laughs> 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 uh, so shout out to Kamali if they're listening. <laughs> Happy for them and Joel and her family. Yeah, what a what a lovely family. <laughs> I'm glad they're yeah. part of our family. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you picked yeah, the you picked picked the entire playlist today, and I'm excited to hear what other um, jams you have later on yep. in the show. These are some of my songs. Okay, so the first one, um, Big Moon, Your Light. Um, that's kind of been my jam for two weeks now. They are um, I'm just switching a little bit to the Deanna Cup as far as other tracks of theirs. But since it's 13th Moon, um, the band is your uh, Big Moon, Big Moon, Don't Hold Your Breath. So among the many things, uh, the many talents of Phoebe Xavier, uh, one of them, you're also an MC. Hmm. Right? Is I that correct? I do a lot of rap. I, I, I did some research. <laughs> and by research, I mean <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> Yeah, you did your research. Like, I've rapped for you, like, 25 yeah. different times. Yeah. Um, how long How long were you doing that? What got, what got you into, what, what was your passion for rapping? Okay, so, um, I guess as a kid, I listened to a lot of rap music. Uh, and probably, like, in sixth grade and eighth grade is when I got most into rap over other things, but I was really into Tribe Called Quest back then, and um, friends of mine, I went to a suburban high school in Rochester, Philadelphia, and um, friends of mine had a group pass around like mixtapes and duct tapes of uh, different hip-hop shit that was, it was, um, it was the cool like underground, it was almost like punks to be a white kid into hip-hop at that stage in my life. Um, <laughs> So I got into rap back then, and I started rapping maybe in, like, 1993. Yeah, hip-hop is punk as fuck, I think. Yeah, no, a lot of it, aspects of hip-hop are punk as fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> being rebellious and anti-conforming. But that's, that's a certain level of hip-hop, because then later on, the last 20 years of hip-hop have been a whole lot of, like, hey, do this, like, dress this particular way and act this particular way to fit the moment. I think old school hip hop is still a shit. It's probably what inspired me to start rapping. Do you have a, a like a a really fond tour memory from your rapping days? Okay, okay. <laughs> so I have a, I have a million memories, obviously. <laughs> but um, so there was the time though that we were doing a uh, open mic. I think it was. Uh, open, what is it called? Mixed mic, no event, these are friends, comedians, and yeah. And we're doing an open mic mixed mic in Phoenix, Arizona, 
had traveled there from San Diego, and I forget um, how many days we were in town or without really saying anything, but I just remember that when they called me to the stage, um, getting around all the tables to get to the stage seemed like way too difficult. So I ran down like this gigantic hallway where like there were like shutters that opened up onto the stage and it's like, oh, I'll just pop out through there. <laughs> and like as I, as I went through the shutters onto the stage, I think like I almost knocked over a speaker but then just fell and like tore my pants and skinned my leg, but then like spun around and somehow didn't fall over and stood up just in time to grab the mic from the host and was just like, hey, that's a little trick on you. <laughs> Ta -da. Yeah, exactly. Ta -da. Oh my god! I all right. So I did the same thing this week at work almost, um, with the like playing it off as if it was on purpose. I was standing there at the host sandwich, and a fucking squirrel jumped on my shoulder. Whoa! Like, dude, six feet, six feet. Yeah, I know, exactly. But from somewhere above me, a squirrel decided my shoulder was the next branch it needed to hop onto before it hit the ground. <laughs> and yeah, and so, and this is in front of our whole restaurant. So, like, 80 people saw this happen. And it was like a moment of, like, shock and amazement. And I knew, like, they were all just going to be staring at me for the next three minutes if I didn't do something. So I just turned around and cursed. <laughs> Ta da! <laughs> it worked! It worked! <laughs> Um, Pam Benjamin just walked in. Hey Pam, I just want to let you know that Phoebe digs your your confession. <laughs> your sister. Your sister. Bjork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bjork's sister. <laughs> oh, it's from the breaker. <laughs> but yeah, so now um I like um I like shit like that where shit sort of goes wrong, but like it just somehow stays. Um, I remember there was a time in um, Fort Worth that we were performing with imaginary friends. Somebody else, oh, um, Molly, my friend Bob Perryman. But um, this one band, like I think their equipment wasn't working, the sound wasn't working. So somebody grabbed one. Oh, so yeah, the turntable for the band that was about to go on wasn't working. So somebody grabbed the microphone for a beatboxing and then I just got up there and then I rapped for like two or three minutes. Actually, I had already performed with them. But I rapped for like two or three minutes of shit um, from a different song that I hadn't performed. And sort of like gave the moment of like, oh, they fixed the equipment in the three minutes that you gave us to like not think about how the whole show was fucked up. Yeah. Um, the show must go on. Live performance is a whole bunch of that, like having everything fall apart, but then somehow taping it all back together. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> live entertainment—you know, it's the difference between theater and cinema. In cinema, you just you you portray the things that you capture perfectly, but live entertainment is like, oh, we gotta roll with the microphones off, so now I'm gonna yell uh, jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't get like seven seconds to like be like all right let's do this instead and then we just pause and be horrified it's like no you better be entertaining if you're being horrified be entertainingly horrified <laughs> that describes your comedy pretty well yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah so um you've also you've done a lot of interviews with with uh, inter different entertainers. I have. Our, our, our mutual friend, Vernon Supreme, I did an interview with him. Yeah. Yeah, you asked him about Nick at Night, right? Yeah, well, he was part of Nick at Night for like, yeah. a gathering. <laughs> for like one gathering, yeah. <laughs> I, at that gathering, I didn't even smoke cigarettes, but I got one from, uh, <laughs> I got one from Vernon, who also doesn't smoke cigarettes, but. Like. I just remember the way that I met him was like so nonchalant. He had helped us cook. He hopped in on my kitchen and like helped me cook with Vernon. And then like <clears throat> after he helped and ate some, I was walking away. Vince was like, "Oh, please, Vernon." And I was like, "Hey, don't call that guy Vernon. He was kind of nice." <laughs> and Vince was like, "Nah, dude, that's Vernon's stage name." I was like, "What? That's, that's his legal name. name. <laughs> <laughs> Vermin <laughs> loves supreme." <laughs> 
Yeah, that boot really transforms everything. <laughs> I was at the Republican National Convention, and before he put the boot on, no one said anything. He puts the boot on, and some random guy looks at me and goes, oh, my God, is that Roman Supreme? And I was like, yes, you should go over and talk to him because he loves being recognized. <laughs> he was like, really? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, go talk to him. And he was so excited. And I can see, like, you know, I can see Vermin's face light up, too. Like, well, yes, I am the Vermin Supreme. <laughs> 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 yeah, now he's, he's a really, really funny dude. Um, I, I think I saw his interview with Philip on YouTube because of um, one of the other, like, biggest really um, – semi-famous or globally famous people that I got to interview would be John Stomsky. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, wow. That one's on YouTube. Um, yeah, interview with John Stomsky. Wow. So, like, underground rap stars. What, what's a highlight from interviewing Noam Chomsky? Um, he had a really weird response to um, what I had to say about 9-11. <laughs> Like, if 9-11 was fake, then he should have blamed, um, should have blamed Iraq, not the Saudis. And I think, and I saw that as a really weird, like, non-answer kind of. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like what I always say, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, we should have invade Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Iraq. Oh, I fucked it up. I fucked up the joke. But, uh... <laughs> Whoa, what was the question you asked him? Um, I forget exactly. I was a complete smartass about the way I asked him questions. It was like, um, uh, I said something about um, Osama bin Laden. Um, Osama bin Laden, because this was after, I think, uh, right after uh, Obama had raided OBL and OBL was dead or whatever. So I think I said something about, like, the account that his beard was dyed, and he had a porn collection. Like, where was his dialysis, dialysis machine? Was it hidden under the porn collection or something? <laughs> and, like, he took... I, I don't remember if that's the specific question that he um, responded in that way to, but he was very, very fun in general. Like, he, he rolled with the punches and whatever. I asked him if it was... My stage name, you know, was Professor Anarchy, so I asked him if he was listening to... Dr. Dre and myself, like, reading the escape titles while he's a real doctor or whatever. <laughs> he, he told me he could go in, and he was like, no, 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 call yourself whatever you like. I think it's great. <laughs> That's very funny. I got approval for Dr. Dre via John Chomsky. So, of the underground rappers that you've uh, interviewed, what what were some of the highlights? Oh, um, yeah, people. How many years do you have to finish that interview for? Um, Open Mike Eagle was a really fun interview. Um, we, uh, my friend Christine, who went to the show with me that I was interviewing him at, um, we got to see them. Um, that was really cool with that. Friend of mine who was driving me to the show, like, got to ask him to do bills even more for him in case he needed them. Um, she gets them, she's like awfully starstruck, but a huge fan of all these underground hip hop people. Um, and that show actually, we met, um, only for like two or three seconds, but I met Cannibal Burris at that show. Oh, cool. I got invited to the, the guy responsible for who, why Cosby's in jail. <laughs> What's that? Hannibal Burris, uh, he. You know, he started a catalyst that ended up with Cosby being... That's a different subject, but that's really cool that you met him. Oh, Bill Cosby? Yeah, no, yeah. I remember that you guys being bittersweet. I saw that whole ball rolling. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's crazy, like, um, how comedians and comedy can really affect what's going on in the world. Like, we don't really think about we're, like, telling jokes, but, you know, yeah. people um, like Hannibal and Sasha Baron Cohen and... um. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, dude, there's a Borat sequel coming out. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm a, I'm a big okay. fan. <laughs> um, I'm not really a fan of Borat specifically, but just what Sasha Baron Cohen's able to do using humor in his... Um, yeah. Like, wow, you really can... Um, You know, when, when, you, when you shed light to heinous things in a humorous way, you can, like, 
reach a broader perspective, people aren't like as defensive, you know, they're like, whoa, that's what's like, that guy really thinks like that. I don't really want him in office. <laughs> yeah. His TV show about like America exposed or whatever. Yeah. Who is America? That was really good. So brilliant. Uh, scary because it's, it's like real people that really think like that. Yeah. He just exposes people for who they are using humor. And then like, shit changes like people get voted out of office like it's amazing yeah, <laughs> i know you're just like and then i met hannibal and i went on this big tangent <laughs> like yeah, how i like good. comedy can change the world i was actually just listening to a podcast about um oh um what is his name silvio bull the prime minister of italy not the okay. current one, but uh, the 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 like billionaire that had a bunch of uh, was like really corrupt. Like people were wondering where he got. He owned all these TVs and all this media, so he like was able to just portray himself as like you know like how perfect he is. But there was another media channel where like a comedian on his show had an interview with a journalist who was like, "Where is this money coming from?" and like started to take him down and you know they lost their job but it was like another example of like wow look this comedian <laughs> who's just like let's have on this guest like really like was able to shed light to like look what's really going on in these corrupt politics okay similar um or or, or a parallel that i want to draw attention to and maybe it's not comedians um that expose this or whatever but okay do you know who mark barnett is uh no He's the guy who uh, produced and created The Apprentice. Oh. Um, I believe that is a show that the um, the Cialini um, POTUS guy was once mm -hmm. starring on, right? That show, The Apprentice. Well, Mark Barnett has spent the two years before he launched The Apprentice uh, in talks with Putin because he wanted to do a reality TV show about Putin. Putin strung him along for two years about maybe making this uh, TV show with Barnett until finally he decided, no, I don't want to do this show. But I have this great idea where you go to America, back to America, and make a TV show and make it look like Donald Trump is a billionaire, even though we know he's like $4 million in debt. <laughs> and so for 10 years, at Putin's command, Mark Barnett helped suss-wash and like sort of billionaire-wash like, tricks all these Americans into thinking, oh, he's a successful fucking CEO. He has a billion dollars because he says he's a billion. No, he's not a fucking billionaire. He's $400 million in debt to the fucking Russian mafia. So, no, sidebar, whatever. Oh, it's, it's all the same social. It's, it's not too much of a sidebar. It really is all the same social circle. Like, um, like Putin was a part of these, like, sex parties that this, this, uh, the... Italian, uh, what is his name? Silvino. Right. I need, just need to look it up because I don't feel like I'm going to butcher his name. I, it's like something with a B, right? Yeah, but Belvini? Silvino. But I also wouldn't try to say it, like pronounce it like I was doing when I'm listening to the Google. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just suck at pronouncing people's names. <laughs> I've oh, known you for so long and I was so like, Wait a minute, am I pronouncing your name right? <laughs> no, the, well, that was the funny thing about doing open mics, would be like the third time that I've done someone's mic and it's still pronounced as like um, Xavier Xavier instead of X. I'd be like, all right, so I make it a point to say my name at the beginning and the end of each set in front of you so you can politely maybe address me. Like, you know, it's it's pretty rare that people mispronounce my name, but whenever it happens, I just like keep going. I don't even care. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not gonna waste like thirty yeah. seconds of my time up here. <laughs> it's like correct. But I mean, anytime it happens, I'm like, I guess it's my turn to get my name mispronounced. It doesn't really happen very often. For me, I think it's just funny to hear people call you Rachel and, like, I call you bitch. And I think once or twice that I called you Rachel and felt weird in my mouth. <laughs> oh, dude, I know what you mean. So I, uh, when I was at Burning Man, actually, uh, I was doing an open mic with uh, – they, they, they let you d go to center camp and do an open mic there, but you have to sign up really early. And they, you, they give you a whole hour 
you know, because it's for anybody. It's mostly, you know, like musicians or storytellers and stuff. Um, so me and Jai uh, from Roadkill Cafe, like he's a musician and, uh, you know, I'm a comedian. So we were like, well, if we do this in tandem, we can fill a whole hour. So we like put, we were like, put. he's like, what should our name be? And, you know, like Jai and um, Professor was there and they've known me as Roach for years and years. And I was like, okay, well, my stage name is Rachel Pinson. And both of them at the same time were like, that's your real name. <laughs> I'm like, yes, but it's also my stage name. <laughs> we went with the name Jai Love and Jokes. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> and then I'm like, this is Jai Love. I'm the joke. Ha <laughs> ha. But it was it was like one of my favorite like performances, really. Like. Just I think of Rachel Pinson as a stage name too, though. <laughs> yeah, right. The world is a stage, and I was born with this stage name. For sure. <laughs> the roads were short, you know? <laughs> I, I beat Duke Xavier, and I am dead. <laughs> it's not my dead name. It's my stage name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just on the bill. <laughs> Oh man, so <laughs> we were talking about your. Well, we got uh, we did <laughs> the conversation got derailed a little bit in a good way. <laughs> but we were talking about uh, the people that you've interviewed. So if people want to um hear, you said they were on YouTube. So if people want to hear some of the interviews that you've done, um, where can they find them? <laughs> 